0: Welcome to Book Shambles. You're listening to an abridged version of this episode. You can listen to the full uncut edition of this episode if you become a Patreon supporter of the show. And that's for as little as $1 a month via Patreon. And uh, you can support us. So just go to patreon.com forward slash... I still say forward slash. I'm I'm nearly 51, thank you. Uh, Forward slash Book Shambles for more info and how to pledge.
1: Hello, welcome to Book Shambles, producer Trent here. Robin is going to be along in a second to tell you all about some Patreon bits and bobs, but before he does that, I'd just like to tell you about season two of another podcast that we produce, Brain Yapping. Brain Yapping, which is hosted by the neuroscientist and best-selling science author, Dr. Dean Burnett, and journalist Rachel England. Uh, season one, which came out in 2019, was... Uh, about psychology and neuroscience in general. Season two was meant to come out last year in 2020, but then uh, 2020 happened uh, and it really happened to Dean and Rachel. So season two, which is called Brain Yapping Battle Damaged, has started this week and it's primarily focused on mental health and particularly mental health during uh, the lockdown and pandemic and uh, during times of... Loss and trauma and isolation and stress and all the, the the fun stuff that's been going on in the last 12 months. So you can go to com slash brain yapping to get all the subscribe links or just search for brain yapping wherever you get book shambles, really. So that is out now. Do subscribe, do rate and review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all that sort of stuff. And we hope you enjoy it. Uh, here's Robin. Hello,
0: welcome to Book Shambles. Uh, Today's Book Shambles is going to be Marion Keyes and uh, you're going to hear more about that shortly. This is the introduction to the introduction. Uh, Just to say thank you very much to all our Patreon supporters. We're on a big Patreon drive at the moment to get at least 5% of our audience supporting us via Patreon because we're unable to do any live gigs, which is uh, the way that we've uh, basically made a living beforehand. And uh, so we're also doing loads more shows. A new series coming up called uh, Tips for Existence with guests including Neil Gaiman and Tim Minchin and Nicole Stott and Andrew and Francesca Stavrokopoulou and Anil Seth and uh, loads of others and that's about finding meaning and purpose in life we're also, the Uncanny Hour series continues with uh, Stuart Lee and uh, Alan Moore and Kayla Janice and uh, many others and uh, we're also doing the Reality Talks which are uh, every every other tuesday i should say depending on whatever tuesday it's the other tuesday to that uh, and they are uh, also on Patreon picture as well as book shambles obviously and also our sunday science q a which is every week now here is the program you're waiting for the advert is over
1: and because robin always forgets to mention the url it is patreon.com slash book shambles here's the show <laughs>
2: Hello, welcome to Robin and Josie's book Shambles. I'm Josie Long and Robin Ince is over there and hasn't <laughs> spoken yet. Um, and I'm really excited today. We're speaking with Marion Keyes. It's so nice to have you here. I loved your book. I loved it. Thank you? It was so it, it was just great. And I, I was really excited to read it um, for a number of reasons that we'll get into later. Um, but because I I always do this at the start I like want to launch into three things at once so I'm going to rein myself in and just say um, how are
3: you and how are you feeling about the release of the book? Oh I'm fine today I had a bad day yesterday but I'm fine today and I'm really excited about uh, the book coming out in paperback um, because I mean it's cheaper which makes it more affordable I always worry about worry about people who can't justify it in in the hardback and I honestly feel that it's it's a lot of fun and it creates a world that at the moment people might appreciate escaping into and that it might take their mind off the current unpleasantness for a couple of days or a week Um, so either way I just hope it gives people a lift. But what's
2: interesting about that is I think it is a funny book and it is a fun book and you do really get to live with those characters and enjoy them but I one of the things that I first wanted to talk to you about was I was really so thrilled by the fact that you were able to work into it such explicitly political material about um uh direct provision in Ireland and the treatment of refugees and I was so amazed at how deftly you were able to put it in like you you I how how did you feel about writing in those political elements of the book? Like, was that always something you wanted in this book, or did it come up as a result of getting to know the
3: characters? Um, no, it was something that I always wanted to include because I feel if I'm going to write a novel set, you know, in contemporary times, that it is a- appropriate to include mm-hmm. sociological elements that we might prefer not to think about, mm-hmm. um, and. It, it, it just seemed natural i mean that refugees are all around us um, and we try to blind ourselves to them you know our asylum seekers are all around us and uh, and i didn't i mean i never want issues in my novels to kind of hit the reader over the head or to over to overwhelm a storyline but i felt that it could this particular woman and her daughter um their their presence in the book is they're there for themselves, but they also influence other people in the book. So they 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 paid their way, if you understand me. You know, they actually contributed to how the, the novel um progresses and and it just meant that people who might have no real idea of how very very hard it is to live on a tiny amount of money a week you know when you're dealing with ptsd and kind of the loss of everything you've ever known mm-hmm. i thought it might kind of give people a little glimmer without overwhelming them and making them think no can't read it no shut the book you know i didn't sign up for this yeah, that's what I thought.
2: I I, I was so I, I was so glad of it and grateful for it because I thought this is such a wonderful way to do that to introduce it and to clearly explain it. But it didn't feel in an any way a diversion from the novel. It felt uh, sorry. It's, uh, I'll, I'm not spoiling it to say that it's part of a little speech that one of the characters is giving, and basically when I read it I was like oh this is this is the good stuff like not that no no I didn't mean like that I mean like this is how it's done this is how people do this like because it just didn't feel at all that it came out of the novel and yet you were able to be so so clear and I was like oh like oh it just made me so happy that that you could do it and that it was like you say cool. it didn't stick out it didn't browbeat and yet it gave all the information needed. And and that's just such a small diversion in the book as well. Obviously, the book itself is really about characters and families and life, you know. And I think that's what I think in the book is so good about the generations, is some of the parents' generations are like, she never really cared about politics, you know. And then others, and the younger ones, it's just not an option. And And so for you, is it a process of, as you write characters of different generations, really having to stay open to kind of... Listening to the differences,
3: yeah. Like, I mean, the the oldest character that matters in the characters is Jessie. She's nearly fifty, and like, she's a businesswoman and she's about making money. She doesn't have much imagination. She doesn't care about. She doesn't really care. She's personally, she's kind-hearted, but like, she's no real interest in you know changing systems or you know. And she's good to her staff. I mean, she is not like a, you know a cruel capitalist but like for her it's no biggie and for her husband johnny it's no biggie whereas her son ferdia who's 22 it's a biggie you know and johnny's brother ed he's a botanist and like he is aware that his job is managing decline it's 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 painful for him you know because he is very much into taking care of the planet yeah so it depends it, yeah not everybody cares in the same way that's for sure and and writing characters I have to acknowledge that
2: yeah and having uh, but also how different interactions change people and and move them along and change their viewpoints as well so sort of having that that fluidity linked to experiences and stuff like that yeah I I, there are so many characters in the book like it felt to me like a like a 19th century novel or like a Russian novel there's like so many people and yet you do connect with them all and I, I wonder like how do you approach deciding on that kind of cast of characters like
3: how do you develop them and how does your process work um this book was quite quite different to um any of the other novels I've read written I mean most of my other novels are first person and and you know it's it's fairly linear but the plot came to me before anything else the idea of like a big family all being together you know a a family who spend a lot of time together and one of them getting concussion and saying something that they shouldn't have that idea was the spark of it all and I knew I had to create a you know a fairly big cast of characters for that plot point to actually work. Now, I, I actually know somebody who um who who that did happen to. She got concussion and for a while, she couldn't, there was no filter, like she kept saying the truth. Oh my God, amazing. Whether, oh no, like it was awful. Well, awful, yeah, sorry. Yeah, 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 like she offended people. She, like she, there was a fair, you know, the mop-up operation was really quite extensive. Um, but I realized, you see, and I come from a big family and we spend a lot of time together and, you, you know, we're mad about each other. But of course, things are tricky, you know, with any large group of people, whether it's workmates or friends or family. There's all kinds of stuff um, going on that's unacknowledged, really, because, you know. We we're all trying to be civilized. So I thought the idea of this big, messy family who spend a lot of time together and a bomb goes off on it, basically. Um, and I thought the best way of doing it was to have, like, different generations and slight complications, you know, like ex-wives, new wives, um, adult stepchildren. And it was just very enjoyable to to create all these people and the different age groups I really liked I really liked doing the younger people
0: see I find that very because that from from that moment of concussion I, th- I think and I suppose for a novelist or for any creative person there is that that rich seam of the fact that so much is kept secret in our lives and it's something we've talked about on this before this one of the, the the biggest problems of being human is that once you have some secrets then the secrets build and then we have our inner life and we have who we present ourselves. I mean, I think it's always interesting. Anyone who's perhaps had someone who's had um, dementia or or, or something, some, and very often there's a point where you suddenly go, "Oh my god, how long have these thoughts been in this person's head?" Someone that you might have known for your your whole life, and it's suddenly and and those, I find that that yeah, it's very easy just to turn that almost into melodrama as well. You know, to find the lightness of touch where you just go, that battle between who someone has presented themselves as and and the other things that they are. that makes sense.
3: Yeah, I mean, we're very much presenting only a tiny version of ourselves to the outside world. And it's our best self. You know, it's our polished veneer. And then there is so much, something like 0.1% of our thoughts happen in our conscious brain. And the rest goes on in our subconscious. And everyone has secrets. And, you know, some of those secrets are fairly benign. And some of them aren't and we only ever see. We only ever present a tiny amount of ourselves to the outside world. But I think a lot of the time we're only ever in contact with a small amount of ourselves with ourselves. And, you know, that thing that you said about dementia, Robin, I, you know, I had a dad with dementia and it was often very shocking. You know, when he'd say something, and think, oh, my God, did you always feel that way? But I sort of feel that maybe he didn't or maybe he wasn't aware that he was, that it was buried deep and that whatever horrible rearrangement goes on with dementia, that it suddenly came to the surface. Um, You know, you hear it a lot that people suddenly become aggressive with dementia and that can be so distressing. But I I, I would prefer to think that those people weren't seething with rage the whole time. Mm. It's just that we are strangers to ourselves a lot of the time. Well, also, I, I think, think no, I I would agree, and I would say as well that people
2: are striving to be better. So it, it it's not always that the thing that might come out is who that person was hoping to be, or who that person was trying to be as well. And and I think, you know, when when we're with one another, we try and see the best in people and 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 um, communicate with that better part as opposed to being like no you
3: you are the bit that you're trying not to (laughs) be you know yeah because we all have to function in the world yeah and and it's easier if we're pleasant and they're pleasant (laughs) yeah
0: But it's the the bit that I find interesting is that bit where people have made a presumption that there's a thing that they must keep secret. You know, some of the thoughts, and I know it's something that, you know, Joseph, I think both of us are kind of fortunate in what we do as stand-ups, which is quite a lot of it, might have a personal edge to it. And then people come up after gigs and say, oh, I had that thought. And I'm sure you've had that from, you know, th- there must be so many people who, you've, you know, have written 14 novels. It is 14, isn't it? I think. It is, yeah. They're, they're, um, that people will find something, and they might have been surprised by it and they might think oh I thought because that's one of the things that I find fascinating about the the kind of the area you're in is that the way that very often people are going to presume we've talked about this before there's high literature there's that special literature which is very and and everyone speaks in a very highfalutin way and then there's what you might call you know genre literature which can be so many different things detective novels and horror novels and science fictions and and all of those different things which people don't realize that as as Josie and you just about, it's packed with ideas as well and it's ideas that people haven't been drawn to it because they go I, I actually really want to read a book that's looking at the um the refugee issue and i think mary that they, they 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 might be drawn to it for another reason and then tremendously excited by coming across something that they didn't know was going to be there and that to me is a far more exciting thing than knowing you're in for a, a you know what is sort of technically called a high literary ride i suppose
3: um and that thing robin that you said about people um reading me and uh and, you know, stumbling across something that they thought they were the only person to think. It's usually something shameful, um, you know, that like, oh, it's very difficult, like, when somebody you really care about, when something, when somebody you like quite a bit, if something really fabulous happens to them, of course you're glad, but there's also a bit of you that thinks I wanted it, you know, I would have preferred it. And people feel very ashamed of that kind of, that jealous thing. But I think if you're right, if you, like, I've written about similar and given it to characters and people think, oh, thank God, Mm. okay. So like, I'm not actually a terrible person. I'm simply a human being. You know, I think people find any of our, our less worthy thoughts, they find it shameful. And then when they read about characters having all of those thoughts, there's a relief in it. You know, I think we are very, we're very hard on ourselves about our worst bits because we all have worst bits. You know, we all have unworthy thoughts, even about people we care about. Um, and we have moments of impatience. And,
2: That's I'm and really... if,
3: it's, if it's not uttered, there's no room really for people to go, actually, I feel like this. I hate myself for it, but I have taught it. Yeah. You know, there is no room for kind of social absolution for those thoughts.
2: Yeah, and I, I feel like in this novel, you're able to go into the psyche of each of the characters and see their vulnerabilities and see their struggles, like their best bits and their worst bits. And I think it, it's really interesting to get to know all these different, people's weaknesses and strengths and and i feel like you know people reading it so many different types of people reading a novel will be like oh that's that's the one i'm like yeah
0: <laughs> oh, that's the one i'm like I, I wanted to ask something that you uh in an interview i think for this this but when it when it came out in hardback um one of the things you, which i think was in the sunday post where he said um i like a man who doesn't shout at me and the fact i have to say that is weird now that wow. seems to me that you know that the power of, of that statement alone, and then obviously you enlarge on that, but but that seems to be something as well. When you're looking at those characters, when you're looking at where is that that anger, that, that fury, where does that come from?
3: Well, uh, I mean, in, in the case of the three men in the book, it comes from their dad. Mm-hmm. Like he is this horrific blowhard called Canis uh, Casey. And he is, you know, a big shot in a small town and he has three sons and he wanted one of his sons to take over um, the family business, which was being a solicitor. And and he scared them all sideways. The three sons came out incredibly damaged. Um, Like, and Johnny came out feeling, you know, a huge amount of contempt for himself because he wasn't really clever enough to, to, to do that. Um, and so he kind of overcompensates. I mean, he spent years and years and years being promiscuous um, kind of, sh- you know, proving to himself that he that he was good at something, that he mattered in some way. Um, Ed, who was the, the middle son and the most, I suppose, the most healthy, the most functional, he survived by detaching. Um, But the youngest son, Liam, I suppose, he was the most, he was a sort of a perfect storm of of damageability in that he had success at an early age as a runner. He had kind of moderate success. um, And then his knees blew out. And he was so used to getting yelled at by his dad. And then he had a kind of a very fragile sense of, I'm okay, because of his running. Then when the running went he was left with nothing you know he had kind of done nothing to impress his dad and so like he's a shouter like he's an angry man you know like my own dad who i loved to bits but he was a shouter you know was perfectly normal you know like he would come home from work he would fling his briefcase at the wall and he'd say which one of you do i have to shout at first and it was very interesting you know, when I met my husband, who's a very different kind of man, when we have arguments, he, he won't shout, Mm -hmm. you know, like he simply won't raise his voice. And I had to learn a completely different way of disagreeing because the way I was used to, you know, with my dad, you know, we'd yell at each other and yell and yell and yell. And somebody would slam a door and leave. And I'm glad that I have learned that there are other ways to disagree, healthier ways that don't even have to be, what's the word? They don't even have to be confrontational. It is possible to disagree respectfully or civilly. um, And that some people don't have that opportunity to learn it. Is that what you meant, Robin?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I, but I, I, I suppose what, yes, that is part of it, because I I, I think recently we've had quite a few people on, like like Kerry Hudson, who wrote Low Born, I don't know if you've yeah. picked, which is a, a great book, and, and Lem Cissé and, and, and uh, Alan Davis very recently with his, his book, Just Ignore Him. Um, and it's made me think about how many people, all of their drive in their life, so much of their drive comes from, am I good enough? Am I good enough? Because that that the the, the that moment in, and and for different reasons also with um uh Alexi Pappas who who we had on who's Olympian uh as well um because her, her mother um killed herself when when Alexi was, was five but that bit of am I good enough and the damage that that can do not merely to that person but to those around that that you know as, as we see the way that parents about- try and mould their children or whatever and it's.
2: But I feel like in the book as well, 90% of the characters are wrestling with that exact problem in their own way.
3: Yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely Johnny is. Um, definitely Kara is. I mean, Kara has the lowest self-worth, I think, of all the characters. Um, oh, I wanted to talk a bit about
2: that character because obviously you're writing about an eating disorder and about that obsession and, and how destructive that is. And how did that idea come about and ha- how did you find writing that?
3: Okay, well, um, I'm I'm in recovery for alcoholism. Um, so I suppose in many ways, I understand addiction. Um, and because of the structure of the book, and this is going to sound incredibly cynical, but because secrets come out, w- one of the, you know, infidelity is always a handy secret um, issues around money is always one as well and i was drawn to addiction because it's my sub- specialist subject i suppose um, and i was thinking about eating disorders and i was thinking how very very hard bulimia living with bulimia is because other eating disorders like if you suffer from anorexia or if you suffer from compulsive overeating Your illness is hard to deny because it shows up in your body. But the kind of the sorrow of bulimia is that you can hide in plain sight for a very long time because you can be going to absolute the tortures of the damned with this illness. But you present as a regular weight. And I know two people who have um, recovered from bulimia and I thought it would be something to write about because i don't see it being written about um and so i spoke to people who have suffered from it and recovered from it and it is agonizing because so much of one's head goes into planning the next binge the next purge you know getting momentary kind of relief from it and then of course once stress builds again that desire to just kind of numb out with everything else. And it can go on for a very long time. And like, not only does it damage your body, but like it damages interpersonal relationships because any addict, um, you know, and I speak for myself will tell you that addiction completely erodes healthy relationships with other people. Because for me and for most addicts, my first relationship, like the person, the thing that I loved the most was my, in, in my case, it was alcohol. Mm. Um, And I thought it would be an interesting and unusual one to write about and also to give hope for. Mm. Um, Because once again, I think eating disorders are very, very difficult because for me with alcohol, I just have to stay away from alcohol. And I'm grand. But like with eating disorders, you still have to kind of you have to interact with Mm. your the object of your obsession every Mm. day of your life. So, um, so yeah, so I put a lot of research into it and I've got a lot of nice things back saying I did it well, which it's always my worry when I'm writing about something that's so important to people that I represent it accurately and, and give hope in an appropriate way. And um, do you,
2: do you have ambitions to write other um other books about these kinds of issues what are you looking to write at the moment or in the future next
3: oh at the moment i'm writing my first sequel and um it's a sequel to a book i wrote 22 years ago called rachel's holiday and actually rachel's holiday was a, about a young woman who is addicted to drugs thinks she's fine goes into rehab finds out in rehab that actually she's been uh, telling herself a lot of uh not truths and gets clean and so this is 22 years later it's picking up with how her life has gone in the meantime um she was living in new york um she had a lovely boyfriend at the time so and and actually and it's part of i've I've written about a family of five women the walsh sisters and and this is Rachel's book and so i've written about all five of the sisters and so a lot of people have asked me to write again to revisit the um, the sisters, and I don't. I up to now I haven't believed in sequels. It just it just for me, it hasn't felt. I don't know. I feel like I put my characters through enough in each book, and when they get to the end, it's like, for God's sake, yeah, let them live in peace, <laughs> let them run free where they're bothered by nobody. But I, for whatever reason, I thought I'd like to see how she's getting on. So I'm writing about kind of, I suppose, living with a long term long term clean time. Mm. Um, but yeah lot I mean yeah like I've written about I suppose it's more like feminist issues. I mean you know I've written about rape um I've written about the glass ceiling in the other side of the story. Um I've written about domestic violence in this charming man. So like there's usually some sort of um some sort of uh an issue mm at some part woven into but it comes back to that thing that i said in the beginning that like the issue has to pay obeisance to the storyline you know nothing can interrupt like i'm a storyteller Mm -hmm. that's what i do and and i'm allowed i will let myself weave things in if it's done with a light enough touch and if i can't do it it's got to come
2: out Yes, because you, you're not going, oh, I'm going to write about this issue. You're going, I'd like to tell this story. And the story features that, of course. Sorry, do, Robin.
0: Do you, no, it's all right. I, I, just, I was just wondering how often when you're writing, do you have pauses where you think, how is this, how is you You go into the head of various different imagined readers? Because I imagine there are many different imagined readers in, in your head rather than just one. And you think, how will this work for this person? How, and almost, I, I know, you know, that the, the certain pragmatism where you can go oh hang on I I think that this part of the story is actually going to have use does that come in there as well that 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 sense of as you were saying with bulimia for instance
3: okay I'm going to tell you something Robin and I hope it doesn't sound arrogant and it's really not meant to be but when I'm writing I pretend that the only person who is ever going to read the book is me I don't think it's arrogant at all I think that's how to write Because if I start thinking about, well, they liked this bit about the last book and they didn't like that bit. If I start taking all of that on board, I'll wreck my head and also I'll dilute whatever idea I had about what I wanted to say in the first place. And I use myself as a reader. Like I do, you know, quite often step back and dispassionately ask myself, if I was coming to this as a reader, if I paid money for this, what would I think? And I would think, haha, I would think I'm getting a lecture here. OK, we cut this bit. Um, but I feel that the only way that I can. I don't know, legitimately serve my reader is to write, is to be truthful mm-hmm. about. What I feel I can produce. Um, uh, that that. That's I and I don't mean to be disrespectful at all. Like I'm incredibly grateful for the readers I have, but this is the way it's always worked for me. You know, and Maeve Binchy once said that every reader wants to feel exactly the way they felt when they first found you. And basically what she's saying is like you can't step in the same water twice. Um know a reader will read your book or any person's book and think oh my god i love it i love this feeling the dopamines are flowing i want to feel this way forever i'm going to read this author's other books and they'll read another book and the dopamine isn't playing ball do you know and then they think oh no i hate them now they've disappointed me i will never buy anything by them again and but that's that's the danger we have to realize that a particular experience is just one experience and uh, and that another experience will be different. It might be as nice in a different way, but trying to replicate reading or writing, it's an, it, it, it cannot work, is my experience. Yeah,
0: I was just sure. interested in terms of when you, because of talking about things, like when you realise, and I think, you know, I don't know whether you would agree, Josie, quite often when you're writing stand-up, Um, you only find out the purpose it had afterwards so I'm always you know and and I was thinking when I asked that I've never written anything where I've thought how will this affect someone Uh, as you said and I think it's true with your work Josie there's a tremendous truth to what you're writing well I think and then afterwards someone comes up and you go oh and then you perhaps that voice was it that's that's in that you know the 99.9% of unconscious voices it was secret that that might be when it pops up and goes you didn't hear me at the time but I told you this might happen. You know that?
2: Yes. Yeah. I think that's interesting. Do you find that with your writing that people come to you and tell you what it's about and it's something you hadn't
3: thought at the time, but you do agree? Well, I think everybody's entitled to their own interpretation of, uh, yeah, people will say things and I won't get it. I won't know what they're talking about really, but if they got something from it that wasn't my intention and that I don't understand, that's great. It's fine. Mm. It, you know, like that thing of like, if there's an accident in the street and if there's 20 different witnesses, you'll get 20 different versions. Mm. Uh, you know, people bring their own stuff to, to a gig or, or to a book. Mm. Um, and their interpretation will not be the same as the person who was sitting beside them because we are not blank canvases, you know. Um I'm not expressing myself well, but yeah, I've seen no, it. No, you
2: are. I, um, I completely understand. And But it's interesting as well, because that must sometimes be frustrating if people come up to you and go, well, of course, this character was always this. And you have to feel like, no, no, they were not that.
3: Yeah, but like, I just think life is short. And if they want to say that, it doesn't bother <laughs> me. Do you know, I, I'm i just glad they read it. Yeah. Uh, you true. know, and, and I also, I just respect that like, that was their response to it Mm -hmm. um at least if they're being nice about it you know it's far less pleasant when they come up and they go that person was a total bloody blah and I didn't like them one bit and I don't believe it and I won't you you know you'll be hearing from my solicitor you know like that has all well no the solicitor threat hasn't happened but like yeah you know not everybody is going to like it and I have to accept that they are entitled to not like it you know
0: but I like the idea of actually, yeah, um, uh, well, I'm very glad you were engaged with my story and enjoyed it. But you were engaged with my story wrongly. Therefore, you must reread <laughs> yes. it again. But
2: I think I would
0: feel that way. I'd be like, no, no, yeah. this character is this. And so so it depends I- how that if they go, oh, do you know what? Thanks for reading your book. I've realised I should become a keen racist. You go, oh, God, no, you've totally misunderstood that bit. <laughs> yes.
3: Yeah, no, I'd stop them there. Yeah. I would. <laughs> I would. I would. Oh, I absolutely would
2: um yeah do people get unhealthy not unhealthy but do people get very very strong attachments to your characters and how does that feel
3: not unhealthily so uh but people like them a, a lot of them I just feel grateful um I- I- do they not live
2: like- for you on do you sort of feel yeah. that you still think of them and
3: I do I do I do I mean yeah I mean there are certain ones that stand out for me more than others I really do care about the uh all the people that were in grown-ups and I care about the the younglings I I care about Ferdia and Nell um I just want the world to be a better place for them um you know because they're so idealistic and sweet um yeah and then as I say I've written about five sisters the various Walsh sisters and my mother who will never praise me coming back to the thing that you said about like you know feeling not good enough like you know my mother would not say that I was a good writer if you put a gun to her head but I have no she wouldn't she wouldn't like she's so like she just wouldn't um and she knows that the thing that I want to hear from her more than anything is a good girl Marion you know and so sometimes I ask her to say it to me and she go good girl Marion in a real mean childish voice you know but anyway I gave her the book I gave her the book that I'm working on at the moment which is one of the Walsh sisters and she was reading it and you know normally she will read and she has many many complaints uh usually normally there's too much sex too many blowjobs anyway blowjobs aren't real I don't know why you make them up you're only showing off um but she said it's nice to be back with the Walsh's and that that was praise that was praise it was like hold on jesus i told this to my husband and he was like has she had a stroke is she all right (laughs) you know um so the Walshes, i suppose are people you know my first book 25 years ago was a Walsh book and now the next one will hopefully be yes so i suppose that connection with the Walshes has has lasted and that has actually been very it's been lovely It's lovely to have created characters that people care about, I suppose. You know, and I don't have stalkers. I don't have people waiting in my head. You know, um, nothing bad has come from it.
1: Um, The
3: fact that people like some of the characters. And I, I think, like, it must be exciting to feel that
2: as time passes, you can think in terms of sequels because enough of a life has passed that a lot might have happened or that something fundamentally would have shifted for the characters. You're not having to go, oh, it's been two years. So I guess yeah. I had a baby, <laughs> you know.
3: Exactly, yeah. I mean, I don't know where the time went. It is really, really horrible <laughs> to, wake up, to wake up and go, Jesus Christ, I'm 57. How did that happen? But at the same time, as you say, I've accumulated, you know, a lived life. So um, I'm only joking, really. I, I am quite happy getting older a lot of the time. Um, but it, it comes as a shock from time to time. Um, you went I, very fast. I felt like that. Yeah, I it was does. It's someone... sudden
0: you go, it was all right up to about 22 yes. years. Yes. Then the days were that big. Yes. And then you go, it, uh, I think it's, it's the moment where you genuinely, and it's much earlier than I imagined, where you go, oh, that wasn't last summer. That was four years ago. Yeah. Once that kicks in then you just go cuz i used to have a horrible yeah. one, one of my nightmares which wasn't about accidentally um interviewing you on a weird bench mm. surrounded by nettles a separate um nightmare that i had i always used to have this dream at school holidays that about a week in we had to go back to school and it was like but it's not over where's the time gone and now that dr- and of course the moment i then went back to school i went but the dream was true it already has come <laughs> back too quickly i've had to go back to school and that's how life yeah. sometimes feels where you just just go does. what if i just went and i go oh i'm 87 what that's ridiculous
3: yeah it's it you're right robin it's shocking and all those things that we were told like don't be wishing our lives away and live every second intensely it's true do it
0: I, I wanted to ask you just because I know we're nearly out of time. There's so much that I wanted to. to Sorry, because uh, I was like, and I was no, no, to no. This. There's so many interesting things that I want to. Um, what one? Well, actually, that, that that's uh, I, I wanted to ask you when you, uh, I read it, there was a short story that you read, and that was when you, you one day and you thought, hang on a minute, I can write. I think I don't. What would you? Can you remember what the short story was?
3: I can't, Robin. It was, it was in a woman's magazine. It had won a prize, and. I was, it was four months before my, before I finally stopped drinking. Like I was mid crash and burn really. And I wish I could remember. I wish, I wish I had known that it was meaningful or that it was a, it was a pivotal moment in my life and I didn't realize it. And, uh, I've tried several times, you know, to go back and see, um, what I would what magazines I would have been reading in 1994 like I I know I read Mary Claire every month but um you know I shared a flat with two other girls so you know could have been other stuff so I've never been able to find it which is frustrating but all you know I'd just love to be able to thank the writer um for for you know lighting that spark in me
0: I would find it. It's a dangerous thing, though, isn't it? As you said, that bit of going back, like going back to your favourite TV show. Or whatever yeah. I think If I actually now could see exactly what I saw when I was fifteen in a subterranean room watching that, all those comedians that were on, I, I'm sure I'd go, "Oh my goodness!" But well, I can't believe it anyway. This was an inspiration. A lot of these things, tacky yeah, and Tatty.
3: Yes, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, in that time, it was magical and and exactly everything you needed.
0: That, I think, is, is such a danger, isn't it? When people... It's like whenever you hear people who get frustrated when they return to a TV show they liked when they were a kid, you go, it's not that the show's got worse. It's that everything has changed. And as you said, that dopamine hit as well. That sen- Don't feel that you've been betrayed. Just yeah. go, you know what? When I was nine, this meant everything. And, yes. and I can keep that.
3: Yes. It made you really happy then. And that's all that mattered. Yeah, and I think things have a time as well things reflect where they are where you
2: are where everyone is and you can't cling on to it you have to be willing to
3: keep going yeah and appreciate what you got from us
0: now i've got three quick questions for you oh yes 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 one is what is the first book that you remember loving
3: um it was please don't judge me It was the Twins at um, St. Clair's. Um, It was an Enid Blyton book and it blew my mind. I think I was about six and like it ignited this love of reading that lasted my entire life. Um, It was it, it was my gateway. It was my gateway drug. And honestly, reading was my first my first addiction and like kept me safe and kept me alive. Um, so I'm very grateful for it.
0: Oh, that was my, my my mum's. She was always annoyed that I never got the Island of Adventure. Enid Blyton's Island of Adventure, and it never, it never said you know that that bit again when someone's saying, you must enjoy this. Because I, the joy that I had for her oh, yeah. yeah I'm feeling this, like um... that with
2: my daughter. Like, there's things that I desperately want. My daughter's two and a half. And there's things that I desperately Ooh. want her to connect with. And I feel her age appropriate. And she literally, she won't let me put records on for her, even children's records. She won't let me put, she's like, no music. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I just want some music. <laughs> she hates it. Yeah. And then what's your, sorry, you've got two more quick questions. Oh, the uh,
0: other, like. uh, what book do you think has had the most profound effect on you?
3: um oh it's the barbara king solver book that's set in the um Is it the the poison wood bible? uh the poison wood bible yes 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 it affected me in so many ways one of the ways was that like she has four different voices telling the story of the novel and they are all so different i was just amazed at her skill and the amount of work and in fact okay she wrote the book four times from those four different points of view. I mean, but she chopped up, the story is told in bits and pieces, but just the way that it was a storytelling device that I just was overawed by. And then I really, really, really loved what she did politically. You know, she started out as, you know, telling the story about a preacher coming to pester poor natives and trying to convert them. know with his four young daughters and his misfortunate wife and it becomes this very powerful book about colonialism about post-colonialism about you know american post-colonialism and how you know how they interfered with the government's you know nascent african democracy it just it showed me how how you can convey very powerful things about our world via telling a story about the emotional lives of human beings i
2: loved it it makes people receptive doesn't it 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 it, does it makes you i mean i think things that i've learned and felt deeply via um uh, via fiction have stayed with me so much more than when i'm like i'm going to read this non-fiction book about this thing
3: yeah yeah because you're immersed in the world sorry yeah it's the spoonful of sugar yeah
0: that's what i love about john le carré you know the fact yes. that he just went uh, and people go oh it's a spy thriller oh i wasn't expecting to read this much about uh pharmaceutical companies or whatever you know that that, that again i think that that it's, yes. and it's not a trojan horse because as you said it's brilliant storytelling but the storytelling because i think sometimes that bit we were talking about right at the beginning people go oh an issue's been smuggled in whereas it hasn't been smuggled in it's as, as josie was saying and as you said It's part of the conversation. If anything, what's happening is people are pulling the blinds down Mm. when they're not putting those things in in the story. It's more of an active thing to stop putting that in rather than put it in.
3: Mm -hmm. Yes, yes.
0: Final question: What is the last book you bought for someone else?
3: It's um, it's Louise O'Neill's book after the silence. It's uh, Louise O'Neill is an Irish writer, um, and uh, her latest book is a sort of a a kind of a delicious gothic-y thriller set on an island off West Cork and I had it and my mother wanted it but my sister Rita Ann ran off with it and because I'm afraid of my mother and because I constantly seek her approval I went out and I bought her another one and <laughs> gave it to her.
2: Brilliant, <laughs> thank you I so know. much.
3: If she's listening I hope you enjoyed it. yeah i liked i liked the other two people marion yeah when you shut up talking i'm okay she's not that bad she's not that bad at all she's just a proper irish mammy, and it just doesn't do to praise your children because they might have self-esteem and god knows where that would leave so no 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 it's all fine
0: it is that thing where it's not that your books are any good but she has probably read some that are worse than yours because that's what I've always you know um I saw <laughs> that thing you were on and it was terrible I mean you were the best thing on it but what an awful yeah. you know that, that whole way yes, of yes. trying to work out how to create yeah. a compliment which is still filled with disdain for a, yes yes yes, yes yes
3: yeah
2: well I I had the reverse which is when I was a child my mum praised me to the unrealistic extent that no matter what play i was in she would say you were the best one and i'd be like but i was just the boat keeper i was in one scene yes 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 (laughs) you made it your own you know oh she sounds lovely
0: (laughs) i was quickly going to recommend this have you seen thin places yet no No. it's just come out By by who by who it's 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 uh kerry need doherty I think, I hope I've pronounced that oh, correctly. Oh, yes. She, she's, and she was brought up in Derry uh, oh. with a, in, in a Catholic stroke Protestant family. So yeah. it's all about, and I, the reason I mentioned it as well is we were meant to do a book shambles with her, but the signal from where she lived, so the Wi-Fi signal, was so bad yeah. that we couldn't make So I want to plug it because it's such a, a beautiful memoir of growing up without belonging anywhere and then this and I'd never heard you do you know thin places which is a phrase I'd I'd never heard they're those places where it seems the divide between what we would see as our overt reality and then some kind of sense you know that like I was thinking that when I was up in Stornoway before all this started I was in the stones of Kalanish standing in the middle of the stones of Kalanish I would say that's a thin place
3: yes no I get you yeah where you know the, the membrane between here and another world Mm. yeah yeah. oh god it sounds gorgeous i'm going to read it
0: it's it's very sad at times but it's so beautiful it covers so much territory in such a few it's great it's really good
3: yes yes thank you so much you're lovely thank you for your time thank you for such a lovely conversation
1: Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash bookshambles is where you can go to become a patron. Like, rate, review five stars on Apple Podcasts. If, uh, or even if if you are a patron, if you're not a patron, if you're thinking of becoming a patron, uh, the rating and reviewing helps us out all the same. Back next week with another new episode, of course. Have a great week. Stay safe. And we'll speak to you soon. Bye for now.
0: This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.